I'm Victoria Doherty, and welcome to the cold. Cold is the way revenge is best served, the way a war was fought, and the way a story should be told. And as we have begun doing, I would really like to begin with a short excerpt, fictional excerpt from um, book called Savage Island, which is a companion novel to my breath series, and it, it really kind of is a launching point for our juicy conversation about men and manhood today. The women take care of a boy's hair until his hiffy ulu, Koo whispers. He's come up next to me too, and I'm glad for his company. Of course with Will. That's been a no-go. He hasn't let a woman touch his hair since well before he left for England. Except for Oleana, of course. That just about stabs me through the eye. Of course, I say. Sure enough, Oleana takes up the scissors and lifts up one of Will's ribbon-wrapped locks. She takes a first snip right above where the ribbon is tied up top and holds it high for everyone to see. There's a big cheer, and Will meets my eyes. So, I swallow hard and give him the best and biggest smile I'm able. This is his day, and I'm not about to behave like a jealous harpy. One by one, each of the women and girls take a turn cutting off a ribbon lock of Will's hair something they get to keep from themselves as a memento of the occasion and a symbol of their role in making a man of will. The Hifiulu that um, is referenced in that passage, it's a Nuian hair cutting ceremony that acknowledges the passage of a boy into manhood. And that's why I chose it um, for Savage Island. Um, Niue is in the South Pacific, and Savage Island takes place during the Second World War there, when that island was sort of still somewhere between its, its sort of very tribal roots and the modern age. And I personally feel that these rituals are just so important. These rites of passage, they are just so important to young people, and particularly men, because women's rites of passage sort of happen to them, and they can't, at least, you know, they, they really, it's, it's difficult to avoid giving birth, for instance, once you're, um, you know, pregnant and, and, and waiting for your child. Um, whereas men's rites of passage are a little more squishy, um, and so Anue, until a boy's hiffy ulu, the women of his family actually take care of his long hair. They brush it, they braid it, they do whatever is necessary to keep it in shape. And after his hair is cut, the implication is that the boy must begin behaving like a man, not only caring for his own person, but getting himself mentally and physically prepared for caring for a family and for others who may need him down the line. 
you know, I just thought it was such a lovely ceremony when I was researching it. And I, I, I just knew I had to make it a part of my story because it would be crucial to my protagonist, Will's journey, because from that moment on, the responsibilities of manhood would fall on him in a way he never expected or could have ever dreamed of. I can't help but to think about well, war as a rite of passage, especially given what is going on and with this conflict um, in Ukraine and you know how many, mostly men, but also some women, we see going off to war, saying goodbye to their families. And what an incredible do or die moment that is. And that it is most definitely and historically the ultimate expression of manhood. And up until very recently, up until really this news cycle, I think it has felt very archaic to even say such a word, manhood. Um, and, you know, we've now found ourselves debating it, debating um, trans people in sports, debating what it means to be a man, to go off to war. Um, and it's been a muddled term. I mean, it, it just, it seems to have, have as many definitions and contradictions as there are coffee beverages offered at Starbucks. But despite all of these opposing interpretations of what manhood should or does mean from treatises on toxic masculinity well, to the men's rights movement, from domineering fictional fantasy lovers like Christian Grey and the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise, um, which infuriated a lot of women, a lot of feminists, to men who, who bear their souls the way sweet, sensitive Noah does in the blockbuster novel and film, The Notebook. Still, despite all this, I just don't think this manhood thing is as difficult as we make it out to be. In fact, I think there's this clear roadmap to manhood that's right in front of us and has been there all along. We've just been reluctant to use it worried that if we rely too much on historical interpretations of masculine attributes, we could somehow compromise the progress women have made or the way men have evolved in modern times. But I think if we're to unlock the very best of male traits for our 21st century brothers, sons, lovers, and in my case, even fictional characters, we can't afford to disregard the wisdom of the past. This map to manhood that history's mothers and fathers put into place came at great cost and through a harrowing process of trial and error. They gave us our heroes and villains our rituals and our rites of passage enabled the very freedoms women now enjoy and the equal partnership between the sexes that we currently hold as ideal. So that's where we're going to begin. 
with the ancients. They are the logical first point on our map, and I think we can find our way from there. Classical Greek male virtues were ones of courage, fidelity, industry, and duty. Who can argue with that? These are tenets of manhood that linger on, regardless of whether men are perceived as living up to them or not. The Romans, well, the Romans were a little bit more elaborate. At least, they liked to be a little more elaborate about it, the way they talked about it. They got into the nitty gritty. They placed humor, mercy, frugality, wholesomeness, which was their way of saying health, honesty, dignity, and a host of similar traits on the roster of model male attributes. But you know, even they ultimately concluded that the sum of a real man is pretty simple. It's one who lives a life of virtue. A man who aspires to answer to his better angels. Yet, from a purely romantic perspective, and I think about the romantic perspective a lot, given that I'm a fiction writer, all this virtue business is a bit dry and could use a little more fleshing out. As cute as the Romans were in their togas and gladiator outfits, they weren't particularly romantic in nature. If we want to understand what a woman really craves in a man, how a man is just dying to be seen by women and the world, we'll do best to keep our eyes trained on fiction. Because it's only in the novel, the story, that we get off the main highways and take a more scenic route to manhood. And I think that that is a route that we internalize more, even maybe we process it through fiction. You know, we see it, we see it in our news coverage. And we sort of put it through the sausage grinder of the stories we tell ourselves and others and that we like to read about and watch in films. Tales of chivalry and love. I mean, <laughs> all the way back to, you know, King Arthur in medieval times, that's when those tales of chivalry and love really became popular. Although, of course, they'd been in stories before, but that's when they came to the forefront. And they, they were really good at clearing away the cultural debris on our paths and allowing us to see what it takes to be the kind of man that makes a girl jump on the back of his horse and ride away with him to an uncertain future. One she is confident he can navigate. Stories like Don Quixote, Dracula, The Hobbit, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, The Call of the Wild, The Count of Monte Cristo, and even sense and sensibility in its quiet, mannered way chronicle the kinds of masculine characters who answer the call to adventure and in the process endeavor to do right by those they encounter. 
They use the knowledge they gain during their exploits, not only for their own personal fulfillment, but to be of better value to society at large. As we move further down the map, mid 20th century perhaps, um, writers such as Kerouac and Hemingway, Steinbeck, Salinger, and even gonzo journalist Hunter S. Thompson give us a different perspective. They show us what a man wants to be at his wildest while illustrating how perseverance, duty, even when a man is flagrantly shaking off the shackles of domesticity, keep him from straying too far from his role. Some of these authors, J.D. Salinger comes to mind, are especially adept at revealing to us what can happen when a man forgoes the map entirely and walks off into uncharted territory. In A Perfect Day for Banana Fish, Salinger's character of Seymour Glass, despite his intelligence, talent, his courage at war, becomes so alienated from his family and from society that he feels he is no longer of any use and kills himself. As appealing a character as he is, and he is talked about by everyone in his family. He's still a cautionary tale about the perils of going rogue, of showing us where that went wrong. More recent scribes, Diana Gabaldon, Maggie Shipstead, Nora Roberts, and Amy Harmon offer an updated and more feminine view of the kind of man a woman goes nuts for and a man follows around like a good dog. Yet despite a few tweaks, their heroes still display all of the classical traits that have been written about for millennia and that we're watching on our television screens on the news right now, night after night. These authors may be more overtly emotional in their presentation, in the way they present these protagonists, these male protagonists, as maybe a bit squishy on the outside for the likes of your average knight or lone cowboy, but they're still solid granite just beneath the skin. These new improved men know how to talk to a girl, not just provide for her or rip her bodice and take her right then and there. That's no small upgrade. It's like leaving a village and entering a metropolis. But of all these authors mapping out the hero's journey, even the most manly man wordsmiths among them seem to understand that when it comes to women's most unfeigned expectations of men, it has always boiled down to one crucial element from which all the other virtues quite naturally flow. A woman wants to be the center of her lover's universe, no matter what and forever. She wants him to be that immovable force, the protector of her heart and her person 
That is the maxim of every work of fiction that trains its eye on a pair of sweethearts and the most desired real estate on this map of manhood. It hovers unspoken in almost every genre, too, even in high testosterone spy thrillers. You know, players like James Bond, a man who finds a new paramour in every adventure, is still prepared to give his life for even the most undeserving damsel in distress. The gangster's mole, the double agent, the fellow assassin. In my own fiction, I give a lot of thought to how much a romantic story, and that's a term I use loosely, really does hinge on the creation and evolution of a man worth falling for. The kind of guy both the ancient Greeks and the girls in a modern day book club can appreciate. After all, if a man is going to make my female protagonist the center of his world, that world better well be compelling and worth living in. It better be one of virtue. Or if he's the bad boy type, it better become one of virtue in the course of the story and usually due to his valiant efforts. I aim to cut through the dither and disorientation that surrounds the conversation around men and manhood these days and make his direction clear. Draw up the kind of guy we all want in our lives. One who exemplifies the very classical virtues that, when followed, internalized, can make an evil man good again and a good man great. And I do find the points of interest in the rituals he performs. The ones that usher a boy into manhood and unveil opportunities for him to fulfill his promise, earn his place among the adults in the room, and ultimately even lead them. When is a seriously underappreciated concept in my view, and rituals play an important role in a man's development, giving him the ready, set, go signal he's been waiting for, the one that dares him to put his virtues into play, make them more than mere ideals. From baptism, to filling out a draft card, to getting a driver's license, graduating, being, being challenged to that first schoolyard tussle, having that first kiss. These all let a guy know that it's time to move on, to step up, to fight, to finish, to make love, to marry, to make a decision about where he's willing to go and what he stands for, what he's willing to do and risk everything for. Otherwise, he ends up untethered, just wandering all over the map. 
because that is the crux of what makes up a man in the end, isn't it? His decisions, his ability to make them and stick to them, accept responsibility for their outcome. A man's virtues and ideals may tell him how he should behave, but his rituals let him know when it's time to employ them. They show him and everyone watching whether he has the mettle to actually behave in the way he wishes others to see him, in the way that he will ultimately be judged and remembered when he comes to the last stop on the road. Now that's a lot to think about this week. <laughs> and there will not be a cold podcast next week because um, I just, I won't be here and there is just not enough time for me to get it out um, and still be able to go to my niece's wedding and watch her go through that important ritual with the man of her dreams. But until next time, please stay cold. And I wish you the very best. Thanks. <laughs>